You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 79. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey son, hey son! Well, I should have said good morning, evening, night, or something. Um, <laughs> so, so where are you now then? Um, can't I'm, keep I'm still, a, can you? No, 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 I can't. I'm uh, I'm in a hotel in Mississauga, which is uh, the closest large city to Toronto, Canada. Yeah, the interesting part is that now. We are really, really being dedicated here, all three of us. <laughs> <laughs> Because at my time zone, it's just past midnight. What about you guys? It's 5.14 in the morning in England. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's one hour later in, in Sweden. So, uh, yeah, early morning for us, late nights for you. Oh, my God. Are we stupid uh, or what? So yeah, fun. probably, probably. <laughs> we, we can't stay away. It's so fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's try and 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 make it worth doing. Mm -hmm. So by uh, by trying to provide our listeners with a with a proper show, uh, featuring all those different segments that we usually do every second week. Oh, just 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 one thing before we before we start doing those. A, a great thing happened to us on CSI's website. There is a new article that is actually an interview with us yay, yay. <laughs> right so thank you very much susan gerbic mm -hmm. for putting that together and to uh skeptical inquirer for publishing that mm. thank you very that much was nice. very and nice and of course the show notes will feature this link so that you can follow it and read the interview mm. very good yep yeah indeed okay anything else happened recently Yes, actually, uh, I would like to push again for the fantastic European Skeptics Congress in Poland in September. Good. Everybody should really go. And I have some great news if you are a member of the Swedish Skeptics, VOF, because uh, VOF or VOF members have a chance to win a free ticket to the event. Hey! No bloody way. The Swedish Skeptics have purchased 15 tickets, which can be won by members in a lottery Uh, that cool. will take place in July uh, or August. was decided yesterday, so it's, we haven't got the details uh, sorted. The lottery will be open for both old and new members, and uh, rules and procedures will be published on vof.se uh, as soon as we can, and on the VOF uh, Facebook page. Oh my god, that's amazing! Yeah, we thought it would be a good idea, because uh, we wanted to do something special for our members, and... Mm -hmm. uh, What better way to uh, to do that and to help them to to get to the fantastic congress? And, and uh, remember, you you can you can actually join the Swedish skeptics now just to be part of the lottery if you want to. And we actually do accept members from outside of Sweden too. So hint hint nudge nudge. <laughs> okay. So could I, could I actually actually be a member of a VOF? You could if you want to. It's the 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 yearly cost is uh, or the <laughs> yearly fee is two hundred and fifty Swedish kroner, which is about twenty five euros. Mm -hmm. So it's a good value, twenty five euros. That's a reasonable, reasonable value. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Then of course you'll have to read the Swedish magazine four times a year, but um, I'm sure you can <laughs> <laughs> you can try your best. Google Translate is a friend. Okay, that sounds amazing. And sounds actually, like I'm. Sounds like Andras is planning on joining. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm oh, just. Well. Uh, I'm just going to stick with the distant admiration towards <laughs> VOF. <laughs> and and I I have someone inside to to report on everything like this lottery and stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, great. Mm -hmm. Actually, that I'm really hoping for this to be an example for other organizations. Mm -hmm. It would be great to make make it available this way for for members. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Other than that, I think. Um, oh, um, back, going back to the congress. <laughs> unfortunately, 
in Polish, but Tomasz Witkowski uh, appeared on TV on several occasions recently uh promoting the 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 congress and uh it, it really sounds good because i like listening to um people talking in polish it's just the, the, you don't the, understand the it. small teeny tiny detail that i have <laughs> no idea what they're talking about <laughs> yeah so apparently it's um it's happening so now there is more and more uh marketing around it I'm really excited about that whole thing and hope to see many, many, many of our listeners there. Yep. If any of the uh, other organizations across Europe decide to follow uh, VOF's example, um, then please let us know because we would like to know about it and we would like to announce it on the show so that everyone else knows about it. You can follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at espodcast underscore EU. You can email us. Email address is info at theesp.eu. You can follow us on Facebook, or if you go on our website, which is theesp.eu, you can complete the contact form. And uh, if you get our podcast on iTunes, please rate us and leave us a nice review or a suggestion. Yeah, and if you're on our website, don't forget to check out the, the events in Europe page where we publish all the skeptics in the pubs and congresses and things going on and talking about uh events susan gerbic and i are still uh open for suggestions and we would welcome any invitations for talks across europe uh, especially central europe between the european skeptics congress and Cheekup fest so that means between the third and the fourth weekend of uh, September because we would really like to do that that road trip that I talked about earlier on the show if we are all ready then uh, why don't we start our regular segment the first of which is this week in skepticism and the presenter is as always Yelena I want to talk about something that happened on June the 30th, 1860. It happened in the Oxford University Museum, and it was the famous Huxley-Wilberforce debate, also known as the 1860 Oxford Evolution Debate. Yay! Mm. This debate was dominated, obviously, by two individuals, um, as the name suggests, Thomas Huxley and, and Bishop Samuel Wilberforce. Huxley's nickname, actually, at the time was Darwin's Bulldog because he was a very passionate proponent of the uh, Darwin's evolution theory, which at the time was only eight months old. Well, uh, Darwin wrote it eight months ago. And and Wilberforce was called Soapy Sam for his greasy demeanor. Soapy Sam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and was the Bishop of Oxford um, and a proponent of biblical literalism. The discussion is remembered both as the first public uh, rebuff to creationism and second for a particular memorable moment in which Huxley criticized Wilberforce uh, by choosing to be an ape descendant over that of an intellectually dishonest man. <laughs> Darwin was too sick to attend the debate, so he wasn't present, but Huxley did a really good job defending his theory. The debate was um, very well attended um, and... I think more than a thousand people attended the cha chamber, which is pretty good, I think, by, by the, the, wow. the standard of that time. O on that July morning, evolution itself was new. Like I said, it was only eight months old. Uh, you mean you mean the theory of evolution? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, evolution has <laughs> been going on for billions of years. Okay. Yeah, um, and uh, there were some um, theoretical and evidentiary holes in it. Um, as, as one would expect, because science hasn't filled all of the, all of the gaps yet. Some of the criticism from from Wilberforce's side, of course, pointed at that gaps at the at these gaps. It is said, unfortunately, there is no written record of the actual debate, um, but it is said that Huxley wasn't the greatest debater, unfortunately. Even though he had the knowledge and all the facts, he couldn't command the, ro the room and he couldn't get people kind of on his side. However, it is still considered that Huxley won that debate. Although I'm sure if you talk to creationists and uh, Christians, they probably <laughs> will claim that Wilberforce has, <laughs> has, has won. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that it was partly because of uh, everything I know about Huxley and how he tried to promote Darwin's idea. 
I always picture him as a bit of a dick. Um, <laughs> so he 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 probably wasn't the nicest person ever. And and when he come comes up to the face of people with uh, this arrogance that comes with knowing that he's right scientifically, I don't find it surprising that he couldn't convince people that easily. Mm. Yeah, and um, actually, after the debate, uh, Huxley written books about uh, in, in support of, of Darwin's um, evolution theory, and he, like I said, he's, he's dedicated his life as well as other scientists, and at the end, of course, now we know that evolution is true. Um, a lot of, I'm not saying that all of the gaps are closed, but a lot of the gaps are. I guess the, the, uh, the reason why I wanted to talk about the this event, this debate that took place at the time, is because we as a society, I'm not even going to say skeptic society or skeptics, we as people, as human, we need to have these kind of debates and not shouting matches, no, not arguments, but but productive debates where people have the opportunity to listen in um, to the mm-hmm. arguments. And um, I several really good debates come to mind. Uh, for example, Christopher Hitchens debated uh, Rabbi Shmuley, and it was we- very wildly publicized. Uh, Stephen Fry and Hitchens again um, debated Archbishop John Onayekan and Anne Widecombe. Probably a few of our listeners know a debate between Ken Ham and Bill Nye. And I think these are important. I personally know several people who, after listening to some of these debates, um, have changed their mind and, for example, believers um, became non-believers, which is a huge thing. I'm not saying the debates are the only thing that changes people people's minds, but it's another um, drop yeah. To, to help that transition. And the great thing about debating, I think, is the fact that there isn't... Well, in some circumstances it's hard, but some people are trying to stay calm and rational and just come up with uh, facts and what's known. I, I think and it's a good forum to discuss uh, ideas. But we need to be able to listen to the other person as well, not just hear, because there's a really big difference between hearing something and listening. Um, and it's like an active act. And also questioning the other person. And I don't think... Uh, I don't and think yourself. I, yeah, and I don't think I'm that good. I'm that good at questioning, to be honest. And and I'm still and I still have got lots to learn in that area because the good question always will make your opponent think and stop and go, ah, okay, well, I've never thought of that before. Um, and debates kind debates are, are affording this kind of um, forum to, to to do that. So um, you know, here is for another many many years of great debates and. Um, 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 I hope that the, the debates will help progress the uh, cause of the science uh, and, and skepticism and critical thinking. Here, here. Yeah, but but I, I do think that that there is still this emotional factor, um, even though it's 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 an intellectual debate that you're trying to conduct. It's it's always when when it's something that you hold dear and near to your heart. And uh, I think this is what Darwin was trying to stay away from. Because he was not ready to face all that, that emotional discharge that, <laughs> that would have come along with that. On the other hand, Huxley was thriving in this environment of, of emotional disturbance. And, um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. And, uh, this is why, this is why Darwin was so thorough in, in his arguments in the book. That that is why he his his work is so brilliant. It's funny that you said that about Darwin because he actually wrote to in a letter to Joseph Hooker saying that um, I had no idea you had this power. I have uh, read lately so many hostile views that I was beginning to think that perhaps perhaps I was wholly in the wrong, and that. Uh, was right when he said the whole subject would be forgotten in 10 years. But now that I hear that you and Huxley will fight publicly, which I'm sure I never could do, I fully believe that our cause will in the long run prevail. I am glad I was not in Oxford, for I should have been overwhelmed with my uh, health in its present state. And so I think he also talks uh, about his emotional state. Um, Because, of course, he was very much attached to his theory. But it's incredible how even he was feeling doubts about his theory because people were criticizing him all the time, you know. Yeah. And I can only imagine the pushback at the time. Yeah, this is is how our minds are, are, are... Emotions work that we want to stay away from that, from that criticism. 
So you have to push for it deliberately to actually make it happen in your own mind. It's uncomfortable. Nobody likes uncomfortable. Oh, uh, nobody but skeptics. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> not everyone. Okay, thanks, Yelena. That right. was fun. Uh, shall we move on to uh, discussing a couple of news items? Yeah. I think we should. And we start internationally. Uh, there is no further discussion. Homeopathy is bullshit. So says our friend and hero... Uh, <laughs> Professor Edson Ernst, who again has taken down homeopathy on an article in the UK magazine The Spectator. He says it very well, I think, in the article. He says, don't take my word for it. I'm just a doctor. Uh, but instead, he cites 12 important verdicts from academies of sciences and other authorities from around the world, like Russia, Canada, Australia, Hungary, Sweden, and the US Food and Drug Administration, uh, and more. So he has a good point when all of these independent experts agree. And he gets even more agreement from the Royal National Academy of Pharmacy in Spain, who has just issued a statement uh, including the following paragraph. The Royal National Academy of Pharmacy believes that from a scientific point of view, there are no arguments that support the efficacy of homeopathic medicines and justify their clinical use so mm. one more nail in the coffin yeah and they they go on to say that it can create false expectations uh, substitute treatments with uh, proven effectiveness delay medical consultations etc and may endanger the health of citizens end quote yeah yeah so we agree of course if you can't prove that it works don't sell it don't push it well, I have to say that doesn't prevent homeopaths from propagating their nonsensical methods and claims. And uh, I don't think anything uh, shows it better than the fact that uh, the, the German Association of Homeopathic Physicians just hosted the Homeopathic World Medical Congress, mm. um, actually in the gorgeous city of Leipzig, uh, where... By the way, there is there is a local group of skeptics organizing skeptics in the pub event. Mm -hmm, there is. Um, so we do know that uh, homeopaths like to congratulate one another over um, these uh, nonsensical claims and everything. But uh, this is a yeah bit of a weird thing. Judged by the info on the Congress sheet, um, the event lasting from the 14th to the 17th of June, uh, so it was very recently, appears to have had participants mostly from Germany, Switzerland and Austria, but it was, uh, in fact, truly international, since it was partly organized by the Liga Medicorum Homeopathica Internationalis. <laughs> Very cool science name, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it simply means International Homeopathic Medical Society. Uh, but yeah, with that name, it wouldn't, wouldn't sound that fancy. I think I think that's a common theme uh, with homeopathic remedies as well. So they don't say sulfur; they say sulfuricum and uh, that that kind of stuff. It's like Harry Potter, right? It's oh it's, yeah, 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 it's just yeah. Make it's a it spell. <laughs> yeah. I like that. <laughs> yeah, homeo homeopathy needs a spell. Ingardium leviosa, yeah. and then you get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it probably, however, doesn't doesn't come as a shock to anyone that uh, the Congress obviously featured a scientific program, or at least they call it a scientific program. What is outrageous, though, is is the fact that these two organizations hosted an event with one thousand five hundred participants. Mm. That these two organizations they have a very interesting introduction in the info sheet of the Congress. Let me read it out for you. Uh, the German Association of Homeopathic Physicians is the oldest medical association in Germany. Today, it represents more than 6,000 members and associated physicians from all medical dis disciplines. Our objectives, and that is the terrible part, our objectives are focused on further developing homeopathy as a modern and individual medicine, ensuring the high quality of professional training in the field of homeopathy, as well as promoting homeopathic research and education. Hmm. And they st go on listing all the different fields of medicine that they they try to promote it in and, and apply it to. And the list is um, consists of things like dentists, veterinarians, 
medical students, pharmacists, midwives, as well as non-professionals and patients who show a great interest in homeopathic treatment. Midwives. So... Yeah. It's homeopathic midwife. Is that someone who don't show up when you're in labor? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. Or it's it's a diluted kind of midwife. Uh, I don't know. It's but it's it sounds absolutely weird and silly. Yeah, I'm sure when the the the, the woman is in labor and in agony, the the some drop of water will help her. Yeah. <laughs> And she definitely will appreciate it. It's like the most ridiculous. If it was, if it was a joke, it was a good one. But it, it's not a joke. So I know. they they, yeah. they 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 are absolutely serious about this, and that's the worrying part. And uh, the other thing, this LMHI, the International Homeopathic Medical Society, that it was founded in Rotterdam in 1925, apparently with the participation uh, of the other, the German Association of Homeopathic Physicians. Uh, so it's it's very intertwined. And it says it has grown into a global organization representing medical associations from more than 70 countries worldwide. Ugh. So uh, Goop has criticized this extensively, not only homeopathy in general, but the actual Congress as well. And Spiegel Online featured an interview with Natalie Grams. Mm. who's the, the leader of the, the, the fantastic project called Information Netzwerk Homeopathie. Sorry for my pronunciation. And, uh, yeah, if you if anyone is interested, uh, episode 42 of this very podcast, the ESP, uh, features an interview with Natalie Grams, uh, where we discuss this in a bit more detail. But uh, this uh, event, the, the Congress, ah... Uh, I'm, 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 uh, that makes me think, why can these people get thousands of members, thousands of people gathering, and we have difficulties gaining a uh, hundred members for an organization, a skeptical <laughs> organization? Because it makes them feel good. I know. <laughs> it makes, it makes me feel good to be a skeptic as well. No, this is, it's a very challenging thing to be. It, you uncomfortable because you have to question yourself, your views. You have to argue with yeah, people. I That's, know. I know. There's not many fluffy, fuzzy feelings apart from when you go to conference and meet other free thinkers. Yeah, that's what we do. We need to we need to work on our feel good factors. <laughs> okay, so I have a, a piece of news from um, Good Thinking Society, who are doing an amazing job again in the field of homeopathy or fighting homeopathy, I should say. Um, as um, you might or might not be aware, they have done a great job in working towards um, making sure that NHS funding has stopped homeopathy in Liverpool and uh, rural CCGs, which happened um, some time ago. After the public consultation took place, um, they have stopped it. And now the same is happening for NHS Enfield CCG. The public consultation is open as we speak um, until June the 30th. So now the public consultation is open for NHS Enfield CCG, who reconsidering its funding for homeopathy. We will link um, the actual uh, website where you can go um, and complete the survey and participate, even if you don't reside in Enfield. So that's a great opportunity for skeptics, scientists um, uh, to take part in this and make sure that the homeopathy is stopped in uh, in Enfield. Um, they currently spend £160,000 per year on homeopathy, which is enough to pay for seven full-time nurses. Mm. And uh, there are 17 CCGs in London area funding homeopathy uh, with similar annual spend totaling to around 3 million in London alone. And if NHS Enfield CCG takes the step to end homeopathy funding, it will help encourage other CCGs in London to follow suit uh, with significant savings to the NHS. Dear listeners, please, please um, go and complete the survey on- online and we'll keep you posted whether uh, it, it is um, actually been successful after the 30th of June. And it's just um, a great opportunity to take part and make a difference. Mm-hmm. Very good. There's a lot of homeopathy in this podcast today. So now we go back to Germany, where we have some news from something called the BPI. Uh, and here I'm going to try to pronounce it in the German translation or the German name of 
of this. It's the Bundesverband der Pharmaceutischen Industrie. Ooh, oh, uh, I like that. Uh, yeah, I hope it was fairly correct. But what, what it is, is it's, it's the German Industry Association or trade group for pharmaceuticals. Uh, so I guess we could call them the, the German big pharma, I guess. The ones that we are supposedly are paying us not to criticize them, but uh, this time they haven't paid us enough because I'm going to tell you that they were very wrong when they recently sent out a press release arguing that homeopathy should be covered by health insurance. Oh, maybe yeah. homeopathy pays them. Hey. Yeah, maybe big homeopathy behind it. I, I don't know. Yeah. No. Why do we say big pharma? We should say big homeopathy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, we had have uh, Professor Edsard Ernst to the rescue uh, to, um, <laughs> to argue get that superhero <laughs> because he he uh, wrote about that, calling it shamefully misleading drivel. I love that word about homeopathy, and he linked to 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 their press release. So um, homeopathy is still uh, unfortunately very alive and well in Europe. Yeah. By the way, for those who don't know. Drivel means nonsense. Hmm? <laughs> it's a good word. It is, yeah. yeah. It is, I like it that is. word too. Um, and it really is nonsense. But I think uh, this was enough talk about homeopathy. Um, let's talk about something else. Um, <laughs> I have a bit of a pet website, actually, that's called Vaccine Impact, which is, as you might have guessed, an anti-vaccination propaganda page that I occasionally read um, just to keep my uh, my adrenaline levels blood um, pressure up balanced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> and this is why I, at first I thought um, they were just blowing this whole thing out of proportion when I first saw it. Uh, but then I saw the website of Vax for Italy as well, um, and they were boasting about how big a demonstration they had put together in Rome against the latest legislation in the country. Um, and that is the one that aims to prevent the outbreak of epidemics by raising the number of mandatory vaccinations from 4 to 12 in the country, which is a huge, a huge step. So apparently it is too big a step because uh, there is a public outcry against it, or at least... Um, there seems to be uh, enough people to go on the streets and march against it. So I checked out major news outlets to find something, see see what I can find, Corriera della Sera, La Repubblica, and some others. And um, they indeed reported a significant march for the freedom of choice uh, with regards to vaccinations. Of course, the march featured some massively biased and presumably uninformed speakers who did not know anything about how vaccinations work. And, uh, and, and they claim that because there is no um, obvious epidemic at the moment, um, it's not worth doing such, um, uh, making such a great step towards vaccinating everyone. And then there were people arguing that they know best what's good for their children. Now it seems that anti-vaccination has uh, great support in Italy, which is quite worrying. The, the law has actually been signed by uh, Mattarella, who's the, who's the president of uh, Italy. Now there is this outcry against it. And uh, who knows what happens, because uh, if something, Italian politicians like to do things based on what the public wants. Hmm. But I can't believe that they say that there's no epidemic. Italy is there is an epidemic or was an epidemic earlier yeah. this year in Italy on and, on when it comes uh, to measles. So they're yeah, we, just, I'm sure we mentioned that before. Yeah, yeah, we talked about it a lot. Yeah, and but I'm pretty sure that um, an average um, Italian citizen does not read those numbers, mm. and, unless um, it's affected personally them, they probably yeah. won't. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I haven't checked uh, what the coverage was of uh, of those um, measles outbreaks, but um, well, I'm I'm pretty sure in the minds of the people in a in a huge country like that, there are 60 million people living living in Italy. It's still an insignificant number, so or insignificant to them. 
and and they see it as a as a uh, as a whole thing uh being blown out of proportions and and they try to find a massive conspiracy behind it and and it does yeah and it doesn't help that there is an Andrew Wakefield and and his team yeah um who are actually pushing for this yeah well t- talking about Andrew Wakefield and his team Unfortunately, the documentary Waxed uh, was mm-hmm. um, screened in Switzerland this time. Oh God! Um, there were attempts to attempts to stop it by um, the local uh, community and um, doctors, but it went ahead anyway. Um, I actually got in touch with Marco Kovitz, who wrote a piece about it um, on the Skeptiker website. Mm-hmm. And he told me, well, I just wanted to get a little bit more background whether he knew the, the numbers and stuff, and stuff like that. He didn't know exactly how many people attended. Um, but he said that the overall damage should not be too great. Uh, the normally, atten- I don't know how many people attend these, these screenings. I'm assuming in hundreds rather than thousands. Um, but he said that the screening is a reminder that a non-trivial group of people um, is heavily interested in the anti-vaccine beliefs, which is, you know, it, it is damaging. Um, there was also a bit of media attention and coverage um, of this screening in the biggest um, Swiss tabloid called uh, 20 Minutes. I don't know. It's probably not minutes in 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 um it's in Swiss, but I I wouldn't be able um to tell you what that is. <laughs> I just can see the name of the tablet. Oh no, twenty minuten. Sorry, <laughs> but anyways, um and it's um this particular article heavily criticized the movie. Um, actually blamed the movie for some deaths, um, saying it is irresponsible to show a film that spreads lies and threatens a whole population. The film has already caused many deaths from measles, suggesting that vaccination is dangerous. Um, and they have mentioned the... Uh, they have talked about um, the statistics, and then there were 73,000 deaths from measles worldwide worldwide in 2014 and i'm guessing unfortunately this number probably has risen now i haven't got the latest statistics have you guys um on measles no i've been looking at uh, the cdc or the european cdc center Mm -hmm. of disease control but they publish uh, these uh, numbers not every month but every four to six months so as soon as there are new numbers compared to what we looked at in in february i think uh, we will come back to that yeah. So I guess the good thing is that it's been criticized in newspapers by professionals. The the bad thing is that people who follow anti-vaccination movement and want to see movies like Vaxxed, are they really going to change their mind and be affected by this? Hmm. I'm not sure. All right. Uh, let's go to Austria, where we have a history of mistletoe therapy. I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> Is that yeah. when you kiss under mistletoe and get better? Yeah, it could be. <laughs> that would probably be more effective. Um, uh, but in Austria, mistletoe is in the news since the regional parliament of Carinthia in Austria, that's a region there, uh, has decided that mistletoe treatment against cancer is something to take seriously. This is injection of mis- mistletoe extract, and it's believed by some to be beneficial for cancer patients. The Green Party, who pushed through a legislation, uh, which means that this kind of treatment is uh, covered by state uh, government for cancer patients, said that, and I quote, many recognized oncologists and many cancer patients are convinced that mistletoe therapy is an essential part of the complementary medicine of oncology. And that apparently is enough to pay for something that is far from proved by science. And I guess if many people believe it, then it must be so. Yeah, if only it worked that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Is it, is it called fallacy from popularity? Mm, yeah, uh. should be. Yeah, so talking about um, government um, involvement and, uh, and legislation, um, while Hungary's massively problematic government is currently under investigation by the European Commission for several serious issues, they are actually making things even worse. <laughs> is um, it possible? <laughs> yes, it is. 
Jeez. Um, well, <laughs> our prime minister has expressed his admiration towards regimes like that of Putin's, Erdogan's, and Ch- and the Chinese. Well, I think but... that sounds some, some, like someone we know, someone else we know, but anyway. Oh, yeah. But uh, now his government seems to follow the footsteps of the great communist leader, uh, Mao Zedong. And with regards to um, solutions to the health care problems of the country. Mm-hmm. If you know what I'm referring to. Um, uh, are, are he's, <laughs> that is, he's sending out barefoot doctors across the country instead of pro- proper medicine? or. Uh, well, um, the the solution is called traditional Chinese medicine. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I meant. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So... It's quite a bold move uh, of allocating state funding for for something that is the launch of a traditional Chinese medicine institution within the most prestigious medical university in the country. Oh, um, that's named after Ignat Semmelweis. It's it's terrible. It's a one point four billion Hungarian forints, which equals to about. F- for no about 5 million euros will be allocated by the government and about half of that will be allocated by the actual university and the lay, laying of the cornerstone happened with the presence of um, the state secretary of the ministry of human capacities um that is responsible for the the healthcare providing healthcare within the within the country there was another uh, um, state secretary but of course liu yantung the chinese vice prime minister was there and the chinese minister for healthcare and families uh, and of course the director or the the leader of the of the university the semmelweis university so this going to be some Real Chinese medicine taught at the university. <sighs> and there, there was a statement saying that this goes along the same line as all those developments that have been done in the last couple of years in uh, Hungarian health, in the Hungarian healthcare system. Yeah, there were a couple of new hospital buildings built, but then most of the, the the average hospitals in the country suffer from a serious lack of workforce because people are just moving out of the country people doctors move abroad because because they can earn much more money abroad and uh, there is sometimes no money for equipment so there are hospitals where people have to bring their own toilet papers because the hospital does have no money for that. <sighs> and the government is now spending this amount of money on something that is based on bullshit. Mm. So, yeah. thank you. Depressing. It is depressing. Sad times, eh? Crazy, I would say. Yeah. Not only sad. Well, I, I have some positive news. One of the biggest skeptics organization in Spain, ARPSAPC, is celebrating 30 years as a rational, Yay. critical, and effective alternative to pseudoscience, which Very I think nice. is amazing. Yes. Congratulations, guys. Um, well done for going strong for such a long time and um, doing a great job of spreading critical thinking and skepticism in Spain. And there is a large article published on their website um, where the founder talks about the history um, of the organization and how it's all started and how far they've come and how now they are real force in Spain and, and the, the media comes to them for, for questions and interviews and consults them on several issues. And it's great that they have that weight in society now and respect established in 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 um, scientific circles and um i wish uh, we had more of organizations like that around europe <laughs> mm-hmm. and all the best for the future guys congratulations congratulations all right uh, let's uh, continue to end this new segment on a positive note uh, going internationally many of uh, our listeners are i'm sure are familiar with the podcast skeptoid 
and Brian Dunning, who leads it. He also produced an information film some years back, which is called Here Be Dragons. And Mm -hmm. now the Skeptoid team has released uh, another film, a new film, very well produced, 40-minute film, which is freely available on YouTube. It's called Principles of Curiosity, and it's well worth looking at. And uh, as it says on the website, it presents a general introduction to the foundations of scientific skepticism and critical thinking, focusing on simple on a simple process we call the three C's. It is a non-profit, non-commercial, and it's licensed for free public and private screenings. It's provided with free educational materials for teachers designed for high school through college. Uh, suitable for audiences, its 40-minute route runtime should fit into most classes. So congratulations to Brian Dunning and the team for doing that. Uh, I uh, have seen it. It's very good. And we will, of course, link to it. Mm, nice. Can't wait to see it. Can't wait to be ho- back home and be able to see it. <laughs> <laughs> no, first sleep and then see it. Uh yeah, sleeping is only for the weak-minded. I know it's just under- overrated, really. I don't know who it needs is. It is absolutely overrated. Yeah. Okay. All right. That means that uh, we've covered all our news that we wanted to talk about, and we are moving on to another segment, another regular segment, where we find out who's been really wrong lately. Yay. So here's a little quiz for my fellow hosts and for our listeners. Where do you find out what causes an illness in a person? I can give you three choices. Through peer-reviewed scientific research and medical consensus, or through a verdict in a legal court, or three, uh, the funny papers. What do you think? Um, Can I actually (laughs) give you an order? <laughs> so if if I had to choose uh number one, number three, and number two. <laughs> okay. Unfortunately yeah, yeah. Unfortunately the highest court in the EU no less, the Court of Justice is is of a different opinion. Okay. The Court of Justice in EU uh is the closest thing to a European Supreme Court that there is. And they issued a ruling on June 21st to the effect that courts may consider vaccines to be the cause of an illness even in the absence of scientific evidence. A what? Yeah. In a press release, they say, and I quote, the temporal proximity between the administering of a vaccine and the occurrence of a disease, the lack of personal and familiar history of the person vaccinated and the existence of a significant number of reported cases of the disease occurring following such vaccines may, where applicable, constitute sufficient evidence to make out such proof. So this is a little <laughs> bit legalese. So I try to translate it into easier language. It means that if there is a time relation between a vaccine and a disease, and there is a lack of family history of that disease in the patient, patient, and they have heard of several such cases, that is enough to make a legal verdict saying that the vaccine caused the disease. Sad indeed. Uh, this is, uh, they did this ruling as a result of a French case that was appealed to the European court, where a person who is now sadly deceased uh, sued a vaccine manufacturer since it was his opinion that his hepatitis B vaccination led to his MS, which occurred one year after he received the vaccination. Well, if that's the case, we can, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can uh, conclude all sorts of nonsense. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's true. a classic case of uh, correlation does not um, prove causation. Yeah, and uh, it opens up the door for for all kinds of things. I mean, we we don't want scientific subjects of any kind to be decided by by courts. That that's not where you do it. You do that's it by testing and proving work. how it works. Yeah. Yeah. And the problematic thing is that, as far as I understand now. This ruling is something that local European courts can appeal to when making decisions in future cases. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's a useful advice. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. Gosh. 
<laughs> I, like, I understand where people are coming from, especially people who have a horrible disease. They want to find something to blame and a reason. Mm. And so, but they, but you can't just make things up. You have to. Well, to... obviously you can. Obviously you can, and they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. But you shouldn't be able no, sh- no. to 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 have that as a yeah. reason to get uh, you know caught. Such a ruling. Rulings. Yeah. 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 No. no, absolutely not. It's it's such a val- massive validation for something that. No, yeah. really dangerous. So. For thinking that science can be decided in legal courts and setting a very dangerous precedence, the EU Court of Justice gets today's prize for being really wrong. Do <laughs> That's not a good note. That's, that's, that's not a my... good note to end on. <laughs> well, actually, talking about Europe, I have not yet mentioned, but there was a very positive thing happening just recently in Brussels, organized by uh, Sense About Science EU, which mm. was Evidence Matters EU. Hey. And there were, um, apparently there were more than 100 people appearing, and um, there were several hearings, uh, several people uh, reading up their testimonials about different fields of their lives and, and why evidence matters to them either in their work or in some aspect of their lives, which is uh, which is pretty good. And uh, that was the next step after it happened first uh, about a year ago in the UK, at the, uh, the UK Parliament, and now they did it in the European Parliament. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty good. Uh, it's a very good initiative. And uh, even our very good friend Fiona O'Leary was there, Talking about why it's uh, it matters to to deal with uh, things like uh, autism uh, with an evidence based approach. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's um, it's something that is very positive, and I can't wait to hear more about uh, the experience people had there. I had um, I, I saw a couple of Italian people through Cheekup uh, that I follow on Twitter. They were mentioning how uplifting the whole experience was. And uh, I'm pretty sure there will be. Um, I recently talked to uh, Chris Peters, whom we also interviewed on the show. And he said that there might be uh, later on some uh, written material of some sort that will uh, sum up the the whole event and, and what has been achieved so I'm really looking forward to seeing that. I think before we um, conclude the show, we could um, listen to a couple of uh, uh, radio ads and hear what our skeptical friends have to say. Hi, this is Brian Dunning from the Skeptoid Podcast. By now, you've probably heard me talk about my new film, Principles of Curiosity, my answer for all the pseudoscience and misinformation that permeates pop culture. The film is a guide for anyone to learn to tell what's real from what's not. I'm glad to say the movie is now done, and we're in the process of getting it out to everyone. I'm Brian Dunning from Skeptoid.com. Hello, Richard Saunders here from the Skeptic Zone podcast, a podcast for science and reason from Australia. Every week since 2008, the Skeptic Zone has brought you reports, interviews, and investigations from all around the world. We have many listeners all through Europe. That's the Skeptic Zone podcast at www.skepticzone.tv. Alright, so to conclude the show, I'd like to ask you, Yelena, to present us with a quote, as usual. I shall present you with a quote from Thomas uh, Henry Huxley, who was an English biologist, and um, as I mentioned earlier, he was a main advocate for Charles Darwin's theory of evolution. He said, Sit down before facts as a little child. Be prepared to give up every preconceived notion, follow humbly wherever and to whatever abysses nature leads, or you shall learn nothing. I have only begun to learn content and peace of mind since I have resolved 
at all risks to do this. Hey. All right. All that means that this show has come to an end. But next week, we're coming back with another interview episode. And I'd like to thank both of you, Yelena and Pontus, for joining me today. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And until next week, goodbye. Bye-bye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Oh. Hello. Hello. Okay, so, <clears throat> so you go. Oh, there's a bit of, a bit of an echo in this room. Ooh, echo, echo, echo. Echo, that's going to be fun <laughs> to edit. Okay, so my cat is now purring on my lap, so if you hear purring, that's what it is. We need to give every skeptic a cat. <laughs> Hey! <laughs>